Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. All right, welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. Well, how's everybody's week been? Tiring. Week. <laughs> it's only it's only Monday, and I'm already exhausted. <laughs> Great. And, I've, and I've got the hiccups. So ah. Rachel keeps saying, take deep breaths. And so far, it kind of worked. But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe a shot of whiskey would do better. <laughs> Maybe that's what caused it. <laughs> Maybe no, I, was, I wasn't. I wasn't drinking at work today. But uh, okay. we're in our fourth year, aren't we? I think so. Yeah, four years. I, I think it'll be May. Will be our our anniversary. Right. Rachel is just about two years, I guess, in there. Wow, time flies. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We've been pretty steady, making sure that we get uh, sometimes two, three a month. Steadier than most, that's for sure. Yeah, sometimes life gets in the way and we have to slow down a little bit, but then we get back on track again. So uh, that's right. There, thank you for being patient with us. It's a hobby for us, right? So well, that's right. We're not here to make dough. So we have a we have a, uh, a distinguished <laughs> a distinguished guest today, who comes to us all the way from the south of London, not London, England. No, I mean uh, Kamloops. They say Canada. I I'm from I'm from uh, I'm from London. That's where I was originally from. Sorry. I, well, I, that, that's what I was saying, Peter. But yeah. Thanks for interrupting my introduction of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually reading the bio that you said. Oh, me. I'm sorry. Okay, I'll shut oh, my mouth. <laughs> I get too excited. So anyway, everybody, I'd like to introduce you to Peter Wren, who was born in the south of London, London, <laughs> England, not London, Ontario. <laughs> and Peter started his adventures in paranormal investigating he was just 17 years old wow and uh the ripe old age of uh, 43 right now peter has investigated all over the world and has lived in australia and new zealand and is now in Kamloops, british columbia canada uh he is the currently is the co-founder of the canadian paranormal foundation a documenting investigator for an ordained exorcist in washington state that's going to be interesting and deals with remote cases all over the west coast of north america he's recently published two books he's the co-founder of the award-winning we want to believe documentary series which i was on and the creator of the i want to believe youtube channel and is the ex-director and international liaison to the taps family the ghost hunter crowd peter now you get to speak. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you for, for being our guest tonight. Uh, like it says, you're originally from England and started your paranormal investigating at age 17. Uh, that's That seems pretty young to me. How did that all come to play? Like most people that are in the field, uh, like in the paranormal field, uh, probably about 95% of the people have had personal experiences. And um, mine obviously was a personal experience uh, when I was younger. Um, We grew up in an old 16th century house and um, kind of sets the scene of like a horror movie and stuff like that. But it was actually, it wasn't that malicious that we, we had a, uh, a visible, not a piece of dust, a visible orb that used to uh, uh, pass through our uh, breakfast room in our house at seven o'clock each morning. And, uh, 
we I questioned it as when I was younger and uh, it was there every every morning at seven o'clock we'd see the the all go through one wall and come out the other uh, for years and years and years until we moved away and it, after that um, I guess that kind of made an impression on my mind and my mum was always very spiritually minded as well in relation to uh, you know feelings and that kind of thing uh, then that kind of developed my curiosity and obviously at school I was reading ghost books and uh that kind of thing and uh uh, I was I was actually at a careers fair up in London and uh I was just just on the brink of turning 17 and uh I I was I went around the careers fair and uh got to the end of it and still wasn't deciding what I want to do for the rest of my life and then I there was another uh there was another uh fair on there as well where uh it was like a kind of a mis- it was a, it was like a miscellaneous um, uh, stall fair where they had people with arts and crafts and stuff like that. And uh, I ran into um, I started walking around and um, there was a, a stall there with uh, some older gentlemen who had some old photographs and stuff like that. And uh, they they announced themselves as a, as a paranormal research group. And uh, I kind of had a chat with them and. Uh, that back then they were more kind of spiritually minded as well. They were more um, spiritual, uh, that kind of thing, uh, very much uh, orientate with their feelings in environments and stuff like that. A lot different now to obviously with the, the approach I have now investigating and stuff like that. Um, I was very curious about their methodology and uh, uh, they did the worst thing ever. They get one of the guys gave me his telephone number and I kept bugging him, bugging him, and bugging him. And then eventually, um, yeah, eventually the, the, the guy turned around and said, no, no, you can come out of us, you can come out of us. And then it kind of started off of that. And, uh, yeah, the rest was, uh, the rest is history kind of thing. Uh, so that was sort of the, the learning curve for you to uh, go out on these investigations? It, it was. It was more, uh, like I say, it was more kind of on the spiritual side. Like they used dowsing rods. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they, uh, they were very much, uh, rather than what you see on modern ghost hunting shows, they would sit in a room and you'd spend hours saying nothing. That's it. Like you would just, you'd fill the environment and uh, you'd, you'd sit there and say nothing. You'd stare at a wall for like seven, eight hours. And me being young as I was, and obviously mm-hmm. with ADHD as well, I, you know, I, I wanted to do things. I wanted to do it. I wanted to say something and something like that. And, uh, but it, it taught me a lot back then. And then I, I evolved into that. And then um, there was, um, do you remember? Oh God. Most Haunted Show that came out, and obviously it was televised in North America. With um, uh, there, there was. Uh, did you guys ever watch Most Haunted? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. So um, I started watching it, and uh, there was a guy on there called Kieran O'Keefe, who was a parapsychologist, and uh, he was more he was more in tune with the uh, not scientific side, but actually finding that logical explanation, and that kind of then. After that, uh, I was about, I think it was about 18, 19. After that, it kind of twisted my direction in relation to paranormal investigating. Um, I left, uh, I, I bought, I purchased an old tape recorder with a microphone and stuff like that. And uh, I started evolving that kind of way. And it, was, it wasn't me going out buying like, you know, the, the, the pieces of plastic crap that you get these days. It was, you know, using household items for trigger objects and stuff like that, like more kind of visual so that I, rather than me uh, feeling that there's something going on spiritually, I can actually have that um, validity in regard to uh, 
concrete evidence rather than feelings and stuff like that. And then it just, yeah, it just evolved after that. Peter, I want to go back to that that orb that you were talking about in the beginning. Um, it almost seems like more of a residual, uh, quote unquote, haunting than than uh, intelligent because because of the time and it, it, you know you said seven o'clock every morning. Yeah. Uh, was yeah. there a was there a color to it or um, like did, it, did it interact with with you at all? No, it didn't. And the color. The colour was white. It was always white. And it, the best way of describing it, you know, when you're sitting, I don't know, I don't know where you guys live or anything like, but you're sitting in your room some nights and then the, a car goes past your house and you get that light come through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was to that kind of magnitude with that light, but it was three-dimensional. It was actually away from the wall and you could actually see like around it and stuff like that. And it was a ball probably about eight or nine inches. And it, it wasn't a circular ball, but it was like a mass. And it would go through one wheel, come out the other. And there was no, um, like, it, it was a continual thing. Like, a lot of um, residual investigations I deal with now, there's a lot of factors involved because you can't get an energy to manifest at a certain time of day. There has to be certain things behind it. But that was, like, 7 o'clock each morning. You know, my mum dad used to, my mum used to get me out of bed in the mornings at 6 o'clock, go down and have our breakfast. And it'd be like, oh, you know, there's Fred the ghost. And we called it Fred and we just got kind of used to it. And then um, that, yeah, that kind of broke, uh, broke to the, uh, spoke to my kind of curiosity about. And it was, it was only later when um, after uh, I went, um, I think it was about 21, 22, I did some research in the area. And where my house was built, it was, um, it was kind of on a, on a midbrink, on the back back of my garden used to be an old stream, and over the other side of that stream is was Henry VIII's um, palace. It was his summer grounds and stuff like. That. It's a place called Addington Palace, and uh, what he used to do, he used to spend his summers there and stuff like that. And uh, he would, uh, you know, spend like summers and then go back to uh, places like Hever Castle and places like that into his main castles. But this place was specifically built for him, and. Um, at that, uh, that one particular time, and I don't know if you guys are adverse into history or anything like that, but there was, um, he wanted a, a divorce from the Catholic Church because I thought, I believe it was Anne Boleyn, if memory, memory serves me correctly. And uh, they turned around and said no, because, um, because he had committed adultery. So he created the Church of England. And then he started this massive lynch of all Catholic priests. He basically had them all executed, all in the surrounding areas and, far, you know, the the far reaches of England, that kind of thing. And it, what transpired was that there was, um, so that, that that was that. And then uh, probably in the 1960s, they were uh, excavating out the, on the side of my house because we were kind of a corner plot. And they, uh, they found um, some shallow graves of priests that were buried there. So this is me putting two or two together. But uh, on, that, on, that, on that side, side of the house where it was, was uh, a pathway to where the old vicarage used to be. And back in England, they used to, um, and uh, I believe it's, they still do it on Sundays now. They, they used to walk to the church and ring the bells at seven o'clock each morning. And uh, so me putting two, to get two and two together, it's that kind of, you know, that focus, it, you know, they were walking through and that light was actually them walking to the church at seven o'clock in the morning to ring the bell kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it might be a lot of variables there and stuff like that, but... That was the only thing that kind of makes sense in the relation to it, the, the energy being there, that kind of thing. Obviously, I can't speak before they found the bodies, but uh, they 
they took the bodies and buried it in our local church. And, it, you know, obviously gave them proper burials. I wonder if this orb is still active. I wonder if the, the homeowners there still see it. I don't know. The house is still there. Obviously, uh, houses that were built at a certain time in England, not like in Western Canada, they just get knocked down within two minutes. But the house is still there. Um, they've, yeah, I, I would imagine, yeah, I would imagine it still would be there. So much uh, history that goes way back uh, over in the UK and, and uh, European countries uh, compared to North America. As a, as a young man, though, were you very interested in the whole history of the UK and where you lived and that? Not really. I'll be honest no? with you. The, 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 only, the only time I really embraced my, uh, the history of Britain was when I actually moved away from there and I moved to uh, when I moved to Australia and New Zealand and stuff like that. And you look at you look at places, especially Western Canada, not so much on the East Coast, because you there, there's a lot more history there than what there is here. And you go to buildings that are about, I don't know, 80, 90 years old, and they're like, oh, this building's old. And uh, it's not like <laughs> I'm like, that's not old. That's not yeah. old. And then when I, w- I went back, I've been home like four times since I've been in Canada. And I go back and I go to the places that I grew up because my mum used to take me to Heathrow Castle, which was just, uh, it was about a 10 minute drive away from my house. And we grew up there as kids. And you go back there and you, you kind of take a step back and you're like, I had a great upbringing in relation to where I am now. Like Canada's great and stuff like that, but there's, there's nothing like that. And uh, there's no, you know, there's no stories in BC in relation to, you know, the history and got and how we got to where we are in relation to buildings there's you know there's no soon as things get put up they want to smash them back down again as far as as researching then um i'm just like looking you've investigated uh, throughout many countries uh, paranormal yep. investigations do you find them different in each country um it in by principle um no not really i mean the only country that really stood out where there was more um, like energy, and when, when I say energy, it's not me being like psychic or spiritual or anything like that, but I, you know, there, there was more movement and things being moved around was in, was in Australia. Mm. Um, there, there seemed to be a lot more there. Um, in relation to frequency, like the amount of investigations, mm. I'll be honest with you, where we are in BC, I think that there is, um, obviously I didn't, you know, I, I, want, I didn't fully investigate as what I have here in BC, but the, there's a lot going on here than what, you know, can, for, the, for that balance in history and stuff like that, like England, you know, it goes back to like the ninth century when it was first got established as, as England, but then it, it predates that with, uh, you know, the, uh, the Vikings and things like that. And it's that balance here, like the, there's a lot of activity that goes on in the West Coast and it's, you know, that, I guess that, that's another side of the coin, the theory behind it as well. Well, we're going to ask you to go around the globe here. And yeah. We're going to have to ask you to start in the UK and tell us your best paranormal story from the UK and then we'll move on. Oh, blimey. Come on. Um, <laughs> okay. So, okay. There's a museum. Uh, there's a museum under London Bridge. It's called the London Dungeon. And uh, it, it has, um, it's the London Dungeon. It's basically where the... Uh, uh, it was it was like it predates the plague and stuff like that, but, but it was where um, where criminals were held and stuff like that, and they were tortured in that area. So there's there's that kind of energy aspect and stuff like that. 
Um, in the UK, uh, my buzz of getting into um, government buildings was fundraising. Like I did a lot for cancer research and stuff like that, and that was the only way I could get over that threshold. And it was it was back in a day where there wasn't investigates around. You know, you wouldn't go on Facebook. There wasn't Facebook around or anything like that. So they, the the image of investigates wasn't really tarnished that much. It, you know, it wasn't really tarnished because there wasn't any around. So it was very unique at the time. So we we investigated. Um, London Dungeon, and uh, we did uh, two investigations there over the course of two days for fundraising. And uh, the first night, absolutely not, nothing. The second night, um, we were we were walking around one of the tunnels uh, that backed into one of the torture chambers, and uh, we were standing there. And I thought that the friend there was I was one side of the tunnel, and the, the guy I thought I looked down, and it's back when I had tape records and stuff like that. I thought my uh, one of the investigators walked in front of me. So I looked up and started following him. So I, I'm walking forward and, you know, I can see like the legs and stuff like that. And it was like, it, all of a sudden it got this really, really like bad smell, not, you know, putrid smell or anything like that. And I, I heard scuffling behind me and I thought at that time, he, he, you know, it was just me and this guy at the same time. So I turned around and this guy is standing behind me and I looked forward and this guy's disappeared. That was one of the things that uh, one of the things that really stood out, and then um, there, there was an uh, there was an, uh, a section where people were um, there, there was dummies and stuff like that hung, and they were put into cages and stuff like that. And uh, we were, were um, constantly patted on the shoulder in there as well, uh, at numerous times. And uh, there was um, one of the uh, reporters that were actually with us as well. Uh, there's allegedly a, a headless man that walks around. Uh, walked around the space and she actually saw it as well. She ran out of the building as well. So that that's probably um, that's probably one of the most memorable experiences there. And then there was um, another one in England as well, uh, Warwick Castle, where um, we actually uh, me me and uh, me and two other people uh, saw um, doors swinging backwards and forwards. And then there was a woman in period clothing standing behind the door, and it was just. It was uh, down, down a spiral staircase and uh, at, right down the bottom of the staircase, it was like the old maid's courts and we were standing there. There was me and two other people and the door was opening and shutting, not like wind or anything like that. And it went backwards and forward about three or four times and then it stopped and then swung open and there was a woman standing there in period clothing. And it, that, it was that particular moment where my brain was like, that's not real. That's not real. And you, you kind of discount it in your brain because it's like there's someone there in period clothing. It must be someone there in period clothing. And then, I don't know, I just walked, you know, you walked to, I walked towards it and it just disappeared. Like it, the, the woman had eyes on me and just disappeared. And that, that was that was probably uh, evidence like visual and stuff like that. Uh, visual and hearing noises and stuff like that. It's probably one of the most compelling, uh, two of the most compelling investigations I did back in the UK. Uh, didn't really do much residentials there because everything was more, you know, people wouldn't phone it, paranormal investigators back then to, for them to come and look at their, what's going on in the house because they were too scared and it was a very taboo subject. So, you know, now how, do, how do you react to uh, being touched by spirits, pat on the shoulder and coming uh, face to face with them? I mean, some people run the other way and uh, I, yeah, I, some I'll people be, stay on the ground. Yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. Um, I've been... Yeah, I've been doing this a little while, and the, the people that have come forward to me and said that they won't do anything if something happens to them and they won't run away and stuff like that, they're normally the ones that turn around and they bolt out there quicker. Like, <laughs> right. they are the ones, and it's normally the ones that are, that are 
kind of shellish and that, you know, they're very reserved about, you know, they, the mannerism, the way they investigate, they're the ones that kind of stand their ground and they, they evaluate more logically. But with me um, over the years and with the things and don't, I haven't seen, you know, I haven't seen visuals everywhere I've been like that stuff like that is once once in a lifetime kind of thing like some people haven't seen that you know and they've been investigating for years and they still haven't seen that one thing but the thing is with me it's I've had multiple witnesses with my with what I've seen as well so that validates it for me more than anything else but with me um it's not me be brave or anything like that my uh, my adrenaline kicks in but I suddenly have that natural curiosity where I have to walk towards it and I've done that countless times as the, the two experiences I've had in BC as well. I actually walked through, I walked for a shadow figure that was actually standing in front of me in a residential investigation when I had like three other people watching. And I don't know why I did it. It's just something, you know, I want to, you know, I want to look at it. I, it's, it's, I want to, I want to see how it operates and stuff like that, but then you can't because it's, it can't be measured. <laughs> now you mentioned Australia, you know, the spirits there seem to be a little bit more, what was the term you used? Uh, active or physical? Yeah, yeah they're now, more physical. Now, you mean physical in appearance or uh, or, or like poltergeist activity, pushing and... Poltergeist, uh, poltergeist activity, but by definition, it would probably be intelligent activity more than anything else. There's that, like, there's that threshold about what poltergeist activity is and against um, intelligent. And it, it's... Uh, I've seen... Uh, me, me, and uh, four other people saw a chair get thrown across a room in Fremantle Prison, and a door was physically slammed, uh, like a cell door was physically slammed in uh, one of uh, one of the girls that was a part of our group at that time as well. It was like physically slammed in her face when she asked it to be done. Uh, it's very um, like the, the, the energy there, it, it grips you more. And it, it, it may be to do with just the places I investigated, but it definitely sticks out more. Like I, I went to Fremantle Prison. Um, I investigated a, a place, an old hotel in, in north of uh, Victoria as well, uh, a place called Nia West Hotel. I actually stayed there as well. And it was very like, uh, it would, if, as soon as anything happened, you felt that, you know, it, that energy change in the room more than anything else. It just, it felt very kind of physical in that respect. Have you talked to other paranormal investigators in Australia and asked them the same thing, or you just think you, you might've had some lucky experiences? Um, well, that time I, when I was in Australia, um, I was just associating myself with TAPS just before I became, uh, became, before I became director. And I was already kind of connected with people out there as well. And it, a lot of, a lot of the cases that came out, and it was at that time, uh, a few years ago, where, uh, you know, nothing was demonic or anything like that, but everyone was like, wow, paranormal investigate, this has happened and that's happened and stuff like that. And it it was, you know, it was the era where most haunted overlapped with um, ghost hunters started in, in, uh, in, in like American places like that. So it just started to get on the map and everything was exaggerated, even though it is now to this day. And it was, you know, everyone exaggerated them, but um, a lot of the people that I still know today that are still investigating out there's a lot of parallels with more kind of movement, physical movement in relation to, you know, EVPs or any kind of um, audio, you know, footage or anything like that. And uh, occasionally, uh, and, and videos and uh, photography as well kind of thing as well. 
You going to tell us that the the spirits in New Zealand are more reserved and more passive? Um, <laughs> yeah, New Zealand was very. Um, it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of activity that went on out there to a lot of the places. A lot of the places I stayed in New Zealand on the South Island. Um, it was like Murray, like the Murray, uh, Murray culture there, and uh, a lot of um, alleged ghost haunting sites and stuff like that. It's more to do with their spiritual upbringing. So, and then there was that kind of misconception where they said that they see ghosts and spirits and stuff like that. But it relatively, the areas I were, it was more uh, what they felt rather than what, you know, me wanting to see Casper the Friendly Ghost. We, we, I, I couldn't see that. You've got the, you know, the odd moan and groan here and there, that kind of thing, like the odd EVP, but nothing to that, to that, sub, you know, to that substance kind of thing. Right. Okay. Now coming back to North America, I'd like to ask you about this exorcist that you've become involved with in Washington State. How did that come about? Um, it was it was actually a bizarre incident. Well, not bizarre. It was coincidental. So um, when I was a part of TAPS, we were. Uh, uh, we had a case that come up in just outside of Oregon, and uh, I was trying to find um, an investigator. And uh, I was in I was in cahoots with this woman and stuff like that. And she said that um, she believed it was demonic activity. And it was at that time where you know Baggins on Ghost Adventures was everything was. It was at that time when it all started. Everything was demons and stuff like that. So, you know, you, you kind of take that reserve and like my, my priority was to find a, a team down there that could actually help out that kind of thing. And then she, she then, she mentioned that she met, uh, she reached out to this, um, this priest and uh, um, he, um, he would like to talk to me. So we, yeah, we, we were um, exchanged details, email details and stuff like that. And then he called me up and uh, explained to him who he was and uh, like his kind of, uh, you know, his background, that kind of thing. And it, it started from there. It, it started about, it's probably coming up about eight or nine years ago when it first started. And uh, um, I don't want to disclose his name too much because uh, a lot, 99.9% uh, of uh, all ordained priests and stuff like that keep themselves confidential because it's not like uh, you would never see an ordained priest on Facebook or anything like that. But um, he... Um, he, he wanted a documented investigator and he, uh, I used a lot of that time Skype or that kind of thing where he would get uh, people contacting him through various networks and stuff like that. And I would do kind of what you guys are doing now. And I'd, you know, I'll go through with the, with the client uh, various things that, that are going on and stuff like that kind of step to step and just get a kind of a, a, an evaluation of exactly what the Catholic church would deem as being th those levels of possession. And um, after, you know, after that, um, I would I would summarize my report and then send, send it back to him. Um, if, if it did go by, the, you know, if it went past the first few steps, uh, it would then warrant me occasionally to do a site visit, which I only did once throughout the whole time. And um, but it's it's been an interesting time because uh, I'll be honest, you not a lot transpired because i think um like the the catholic church is kind of on the same regime as me despite what you see on media and stuff like that they're, they're very um you have to tick the boxes first before the, they they even think about going and performing exorcism and stuff like that and it's a very uh very negative light put on them and what they do 
because of what you see on TV and, you know, everyone's a demonologist, everyone's an exorcist and stuff like that. And it creates that stigma with them. And it's so, yeah, that that's where the, basically the relationship started. So you've never actually witnessed an exorcism yet? No, I, that, that part I don't get involved with. Um, I actually take it to the point of, you know, the, the threshold is that I've ticked all the boxes per se, and then I will, I will hand it to the far, uh, to the priest, and that then he does his bit after that. I, to be honest with you, um, I'm I'm curious because I'm I'm still skeptical to this day about um, the various elements of possession and what you know. The, the, I believe a lot of science is in, you know plays a lot into it as well, like medical conditions and stuff like that, and so so does the Catholic Church. But it's um, that threshold with me is the, um, that part I hand off to someone else. I don't particularly, I'm interested, but at the same time, what I've, what I've been told that can happen, uh, despite my skept- being sceptical and stuff like that, I don't really want to, <laughs> I don't want to take that chance. So, you know, for me to turn around and say things like that, don't, you know, it's not real. Uh, it's us as paranormal investigators, regardless of all your beliefs and stuff like that, if you, if you turn around and say that I don't believe in this and you've got that firm grasp, it's if you're a non-believer, I, you know, there's you, you kind of question why you've come into a field like this, because it's uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm skeptical by definition, but I'm not a non-believer. And uh, with things like, um, you know, demonic activity, that kind of thing, I'd rather I'd rather take, you know, maybe peering through the fence, but I wouldn't take part in exorcisms or anything like that. I've seen videos of exorcisms and i've seen some crazy shit come out of it as well pardon sorry part of language um but it's yeah it's definitely something i wouldn't want to step into for sure right now uh, that kind of leads into a question that i ask most of our our guests especially the paranormal investigators uh have you ever had anything follow you home and if so, or, you know, do you do anything to protect yourself or to keep anything from attaching to you? Um, I, I had one, one occasion. Um, I don't, I don't protect myself. I don't, my own opinion, I don't believe that surrounding yourself in white light is going to uh, stop anything following you home. Uh, if it's attached to you physically, yeah, maybe, but uh, when you have like things following you, it's kind of um, you know patting a stray dog in the park kind of deal. It's uh, you you know you pat a dog, and uh, it, if it decides to follow you, it's going to follow you regardlessly. And I've seen that with teams that uh, do you know the, the protection ceremonies and stuff like that before investigations. And I've seen people that just don't believe in it. With me personally. Um, I did, and uh, it kind of touches on a source source subject here in BC, but um, I investigated a residential school in the BC, and it was on behalf of uh, uh, of the the band that owned the building, and uh, we we did a lot of documenting for them for stuff that went on and stuff like that, and uh, one particular time, it didn't know at the time until I got up the next day that there was something really wrong with me, like my personality totally changed and uh, I was seeing things around the house that kind of thing uh it was only to when my wife left and she moved uh, she moved so she went on holiday <laughs> as wishful thinking no kidding um <laughs> she uh she, she went on vacation and um then the, you know you kind of sit around and you, uh, 
but I was seeing things at the corner of my eye. And it's only when I went to the bathroom, my face changed into uh, a boy, like a young boy and stuff like that. And I, I felt um, I had like feelings of suicide and stuff like that. And it was, got very, very deep. Like it, it, it blew the wind out of my sails. I didn't, I didn't go back to the field until probably about six, seven months later because it really made an effect on me. And uh, again, I was skeptical about it because, you know, you go to investigations, you're in, you're in the environment and stuff like that, and people kind of grasp that. And sometimes people can't drop that environment because they think everything's, you know, everything's paranormal. But um, that particular time, there, there, there was so much that went on with me. And I wasn't, you know, there, there was nothing wrong with me mentally before that happened. But it, uh, there, you know, the things that I saw, the things that my dog saw as well, which, and it just, yeah, it was definitely... It definitely knocked me sideways, that's for sure. Paranormal yes. investigations, uh, you seem, uh, of what I'm getting is, you seem to rely more on your senses than maybe some more of the modern equipment. Uh, actually, no. I like I started, like I said earlier on, I did start off with that kind of spiritual sense and stuff like that. Um, I evolved more, I'm more kind of scientific. I use scientific equipment. I, I wouldn't say you know, scientific. I'm not a scientist or anything like that. I'm more like if I if I was to go in a house and uh, there's you know you've got problems in your house, there's things going on and stuff like that. In in order for me to validate what is going on to you, I can't just tell you in my head what's good, you know what I feel is going on. I have to present something to you, and in order for me to present that to you, I have to be aware of uh, the variables that would cause that possible image to appear on the. Uh, on the on the picture or that noise that could you know that EVB that could possibly be a furnace or stuff so like that so I rely solely more on that now than my kind of spiritual feeling and stuff like that so if I give you a picture I'd say to you okay Danny this picture I caught in your basement at that time when it went off because it's time stamped there was no investigators down there or anything like that I've been studying cameras now 10 uh, 15 to 20 years uh there's nothing that could have caused that blur on there and uh I will hand that over and uh, I will know consciously that to me that that is a find. It's not a piece of evidence. It's not a piece of paranormal because we don't know, right? We can't quantify what the paranormal is or anything like that. It's the same as EVPs as well. Like even if you get your name called on an EVP and stuff like that, it's not, um, we can't quantify it, quantify it as being paranormal. It's something that we found because we don't know what caused that. And we never will find out what caused that until we're there, if that makes sense. And uh, it, it's more about quantifying things for me more than what it is to kind of, you know, I, I still get it in investigations when I'm going to places and you get that feeling, you see things and stuff like that and things like that never go away. And it goes up and down with me, but wholeheartedly it's, it's what I can, what I can document more than anything else. Peter, one of the, one of my passions for sure, other than, you know, the ghost hunting is a uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch research. Uh, you're in British Columbia, which is like the heart of uh, Bigfoot country for Canada, at least, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest. Is that something you are interested in that, that you've looked at uh, or investigated? Yeah, we um, we did an episode of the We Want to Believe show as well when uh, we went out and uh, one, this particular uh, investigation, we went out to the uh, First Nations uh, area, just uh, just south southwest from here, and uh, it, it was on native land. And uh, we we had uh, uh, one of my best friends, Chris, was there, 
and he, he was a part of his band and uh, we went you know he went through and did various calls and stuff like that there and it's to me um i've done it a few times as well up and down bc like in harrison various places where things have been spotted and stuff like that um i'm yet to find that piece of evidence where i've gone yeah that's you know that's something that can't be explained or anything like that because everything i've seen or heard is always you know i i can interpret it being an animal or that footprint is something that is uh you know an animal but it's been you know it's it's been just been left there in the dirt that mud that kind of thing but it's it's fun getting out there like british columbia is absolutely beautiful so it's uh it's a good excuse just to go out there and walk around the wilderness for a little while i was going to ask if you uh if you find uh, you've been doing this uh, quite a while as far as investigating paranormal um but do you find because of the publicity, the TV shows and everything out. But uh, do you find that people are more accepted uh, now about the paranormal than they were earlier? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, like, like I said, back in England, it was very, uh, it, it's always been a very taboo subject. And um, I was very fortunate where I grew up uh, with my mom, who, who kind of accepted that. But um, over the years, and being a part of TAPS as well, it definitely opened the doors a lot more up to the field. And it, it, there is positives and there's also a lot of negatives with it as well. It does. There's a lot of drama that comes with the field now, more than what, more what it used to be. And it's, it, it kind of weighs itself out. And it, to the, but it, on the, I guess the, the main plus side is that if I'm, you know, if I'm Mary Smith sitting at home and I've got problems going in my house, regardless of whether it's paranormal or not, I have people out there that can, you know, that can listen to what I have to say without me thinking that I'm mad kind of thing, you know? And that's that's only what we do it for, is that for that purpose only. You're sort of involved in some shows and stuff uh, now as well, but, um, you know, it's it's hard to cipher which ones are on the level and which ones. Yeah. <laughs> it, no, I, I agree. And, like, the, the We Want to Believe show is that it's actually – the reason why we started it was to actually document what we did. And it's more, it, it, like we've got investigations on the, on the show where we, nothing happened whatsoever, but it shows like the full circle of investigating. It's, it's like my methodology of how, how I investigate and stuff like that. And it shows people that are, you know, on my, on my Facebook pages and stuff like that, exactly what I do rather than, that uh, theatrization or that Hollywood drama that you see on TV all the time. And that I, I yeah, th there's that line in the sand where I had that opportunity when I was a part of TAPS and I got, uh, I got very popular with people, but for the wrong reasons that uh, I didn't want to be a part of. That's why I backed away and I just did my own thing in relation to it. But we've got, um, the rhythm that we have with the show and the channel and stuff like that is I like talking about what we do. Um, I, yeah. I, I like talking to people about their experiences as well. I mean, that's the fundamental reason why we did, we do this, right. We want to hear the ghost stories and stuff like that. I love that. That, that kind of excites me. And uh, it's, it's that energy that keeps me that, that media side. And it's, you know, I, I, I don't want to step over that point where all of a sudden I've become like the ghost hunters and stuff like that. And it's not what I do. And obviously, with the foundation that we have, the Canadian Paranormal Foundation, it only 
solidifies the fact that we're helping people both for the fact we're you know we're going out investigating but we're doing like non you know we're raising money for non-profit societies historical sites and stuff like that so it, it, it's spreading it out rather than me peter going into investigations every week and just you know just amalgamating to nothing kind of thing so peter just a minute ago you said you love a juicy ghost story oh i do yeah you got you gotta leave us with one juicy ghost story from british columbia oh jesus oh. give us give us your give, give us your, give us your best shot give us your best story okay so this this is one of the only cases that i was allowed to disclose when i worked when i when i when i worked with the priest down in washington state so uh in there's a town just in between the interior and the lower mainland, it's a place called Hope, and it's a very uh, biblical town. And it was uh, it was established in the uh, late uh, late 18th century, as to what most of Western Canada was. And uh, it was primarily built on um, pilgrim religious pilgrims that settled in that area. Um, I got contacted by um, a priest and uh, to let us notify me about investigation uh, the an invest, a case that's come up and stuff like that so i started a uh, back-to-back um skype interviews with uh, the family and stuff like that and what the story was and uh there was this this kind of yeah this makes my hair stand up thinking about it, but there we i actually got evidence as well of this happening so it was a it was a standard family, like a daughter and son, mother and mother, you know, mother and father, a daughter and son kind of set up. And uh, the daughter was 13 at the time and the son was, I think the son was about 10 years old. And the mum and dad and the brother went shopping one day and they left the daughter at home. No build up to anything like that. Nothing happened before in the house or anything like that. Um, they came back home. And they called upstairs and uh, let's call the girl Mary. So they're calling up to Mary at the top of the stairs, no response or anything like that. So they're like, okay, so they've gone in there, unpacked the shopping. The boy's gone running upstairs as well. Um, knocked on the door. I tried to open the door. The door wouldn't open. So um, called down to the dad. The dad's come upstairs and he's tried to open the door as well. Um, they pushed the door. He pushed the door open to get in the room while he's yelling the daughter's name out and stuff like that. And uh, the, the door swung open and there was this huge chest of drawers up against the door. And then, um, so they've gone in the room, they're like, Mary, Mary, and they can hear a crying coming from the wardrobe. And it's like the old, it was like the old-fashioned wooden wardrobes with like doors opening that way rather than the sliding doors that we get in BC and stuff like that. And then there was another chest of drawers up against it like that had that wardrobe shut. So the dad's gone over there and he's pushed it to one side and this, this thing was like, solid oak dresser kind of deal um he's opened it up and the daughter's in there and uh, she she is um she has lacerations all over her body from top head to toe i saw pictures of it um and uh, so forth so they get her out and she she's not she doesn't talk or anything like that she doesn't talk about it for days and then and stuff like that so they take her downstairs and then uh like they sit in a chair and they're like, you know, cuddling her and stuff like that. She's bawling her eyes out and stuff like that. So then they go back upstairs. And then the first thing that dad notices is, is that there's writing on the ceiling. So um, the dad's like looking up and um, looking up the ceiling and it's all gibberish on the ceiling and stuff like that. He took pictures of it and sent it to me. 
it was um it was hebrew so um hebrew was a language of god and uh it's not like throughout um you know with the shows and stuff like that it's not common knowledge that um that the um exorcists come contact with like hebrew and stuff like that and that that kind of wording because it's whenever you see the tv shows everyone's throwing out latin and stuff like that. you've got latin you know he's preaching words out the bible and stuff like that but the, latin is actually the word of the catholic church rather than what the, the language of god was and um it was there was it it spelled out the door if memory serves me correctly on the ceiling and but it was in red it was in red ink which they didn't know or anything like that um a couple of long, long story short um the over the course of about three to four months um i was I was um, interviewing her over and over again. Slowly, she was getting more and more withdrawn, and it was to the point where it's like, okay, um, that's it's time to go down there and uh, like assess exactly what's going on. But uh, to the point where I was kind of apprehensive about going down this. But anyway, I got um, the the week before I was due to go down there. Uh, there was there was an incident where um, the uh, the the door uh, the son was arguing with the daughter. And uh, the, uh, the, the there was a there was a not a dresser there was a table on the top of the landing, and the table flew over. And I got pictures of it and stuff like that. But the table flew over and hit the ball on the side of the head. And it was like okay, I I was kind of more standoffish then. So we went. Um, I was due to go down there, and uh, I got sick. I ended up having a liver transplant because I was I had liver disease before that. Uh, had recovery and I was away for a year. Uh, kept in contact with the client. Uh, they basically said uh, um, everything was um, everything was as to what it was before, and I was due to go down there. And then they just disappeared off the face of the planet. I went down to the house three weeks later after I was due to go down there, and there was no one in the house. Like the the actual dress they gave me, the house was actually empty. There was no one there whatsoever. So it to me like seeing. Like what I saw, like the fear in their faces, like you, you know, you 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 kind of look at it in a skeptical lens. And when I first heard it, and I was reading it and stuff like that, the scratches and stuff like that, you kind of think to yourself, you know what, psychological issues and stuff like that, and you know, this could happen, that can happen. But when you when you see the, the fear in people's eyes, to the point where the mum is like looking at you square in the eyes, saying, you know, I need your help, I need your help, we don't know what to do or anything like that. And obviously, she went through the uh, psychological evaluations and stuff like that. She had the, the you know, she she had like the uh, the CT scans for her brain and stuff like that. She ticked all the boxes and it was just ready to go to that next stage. And then they just disappeared. So how long did they live in this house before the activity? It they all in all because I I was out of action for about uh, just over a year. Um, but they lived there for about two two and a half years. So it was putting the pieces together because there's there, there theories about how how people invite demons into their life and stuff like that and you know you see tv there's different you know ouija boards and stuff like that and uh, you know you can't all of a sudden you conjure a demon that kind of thing this this purely was the fact that she um she was bullied at school and she invited this thing into her house and uh she would 
um, she would do her own little rituals and stuff like that. She used to cut herself as well, which led me to believe what she cut herself as well. But the these lacerations were like from top of the spine down kind of thing. And it was just, it was, it was very, um, very compelling for me in relation to my scepticism as well, that that was, as far as what I could see, that, you know, demonic per se. And I, I don't, if you know me as a person, I don't believe in demons. I don't honestly believe in, like, uh, you know, I think it's theatrized on TV. I think that uh, TV has a lot of play in it. I, I believe in bad ghosts and good ghosts. I think that if you're a bastard in real, you know, in real life and you die, you're going to become that in the spirit world. That that kind of thing, and it's that's my belief pattern for the last twenty, you know, twenty seven years. But now, you know, seeing that, it's like that has turned my head, and uh, that is what that yeah that that was like looking too far in over the fence kind of thing, and uh, that was compelling for me for sure. It'd be interesting to know where they ended up. No idea. I've I I looked at. Facebook because her mum used to uh, post stuff on Facebook as well. Nothing on Facebook whatsoever. And I'm not saying that they just disappeared off the face of the planet, uh, but they, yeah, they didn't, they weren't there anymore. And uh, I have no idea where they went. Like mm. their, their family was in hope as well. Like they, the, the, the father grew up in hope. So it was just like, where did you go after that? But well, certainly, certainly hope that they're okay. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, uh, so yeah, that was that was probably one of them. But in relation to, sorry, I'm dragging this out. You guys are almost time. But in relation to experiences and stuff like that, um, more recently in BC, uh, we we investigated a hotel just up the road from here. Um, it's kind of a, a hotel that's right in between uh, Kamloops and Merritt in British Columbia, and uh, it. it the, the history of it is very disjointed because we've never got like the true history of the place. And, uh, you know, because it's, uh, it's associated with a, a ranch and uh, there was uh, the old railway that was supposed to have been built there and stuff like that. This hotel was supposed to be built for the old, you know, the, Ch- the Chinese, uh, uh, the Canadian railway that was went through one, one part of Canada to the other. So it kind of has that story as well. But we, um, this place was incredible. We, um, there was um, objects moving, like we had like balls placed and stuff like that, and they would be moving around in front of our faces. Um, I, both me and a couple of other investigators witnessed a, um, a, a, a man walk into the bar area and there was no one there. And uh, also as well, there was, um, we, got, uh, we got a couple of good pictures as well of uh, like, a, it looked like a guy in uniform standing in the doorway as well, which is, pretty cool as well for us as well well it sounds like uh, british columbia is a good place to investigate for sure peter uh you've written a couple books uh, yes the 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 reason why i got my book published was because uh because of you i think in a way because uh i had seen that you had got picked up by beyond the fray publishing and you steered me in the right direction and and now we're kind of part of the same team uh, tell us real quick about your books, uh, where people can find them, and where they can get a hold of you if they, uh, if anyone's listening from British Columbia and wants to get a, a, an investigation done by you. Okay, uh, so the first book is uh, kind of a biography of uh, my investigations on a, in a few selected locations throughout the world. 
Um, it kind of deals more with the um, uh, the experiences side and uh, obviously the evidence we caught and stuff like that, rather than the actual places I visit. Uh, there's a lot in there regarding my biography as well, uh, like myself, my upbringing as well, that experience I had as a child as well. That's called uh, uh, I Want to Believe One Man's Journey into the Paranormal. That's on Amazon. And uh, we also recently authored, uh, both we as us, as Jason Hewlett, uh, we both uh, published a book. Um, we want to, uh, sorry, I want to believe um, investigates archives where we have a whole collection of, uh, I think there's about 25 different seasoned investigators and they're from different realms of the paranormal. And they've, they've just documented their story. Like, you know, the same question each investigator gets asked is like, you know, what experience, like same questions you asked, is like what experiences you had to get into the field and tell us your most exciting experience and stuff like that. So we put that into a book and that's that's doing really well at the moment. Um, if people need to get a hold of us, uh, we have a, a Canadian Paranormal Foundation Facebook page. Um, and uh, we I also have uh, we also have the We Wanna Believe um, Facebook page as well at the moment. So that's it. Alrighty, perfect. And before we all sign off, um, I don't know if I mentioned it on our last podcast, there's a new show in the works called Paranormal Revenge. Um, I am hopefully going to be on it. It's it's by the same producers who do uh, Paranormal 911, Haunted Hospitals, that sort of thing. Um, I just got a quick, funny little story. Um, the producer, or, or one of the the uh, facilitators of the show, uh, she and I had a, a Zoom meeting last week and she's not really into the paranormal. Uh, you know, it's her job. Um, it interests her a little bit, but I'm sure it scares her quite a bit more. Uh, when we were talking, we had tons of EVPs come through the, the Zoom call and I was hearing all sorts of voices and I, I stopped and I said to her, I said, are you hearing these voices? And her poor face, like she just went white. <laughs> her eyes bugged out of her head. And she's like, no, I don't, I don't really hear anything. I, I had my earphones on and she, she didn't. And I said, well, listen to our, our, our meeting because she'd recorded it so other people could watch it like at the production company. And doesn't she email me back like half an hour later? She's like, oh, my God. Like I can hear all these voices. She says, I can't make out what they're saying. So I don't know if they're coming through my end or through her end, but I know I've connected her with Rachel because Rachel has a story to tell about being attacked by a spirit. So Rachel, when you connect with her, make sure you uh, put your earbuds in and, and listen up. So I'll, have, yeah, be, I'll pay close attention. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see. And I don't know, maybe we might have to help this poor girl out. Maybe she's bringing home some, some, some stuff through uh, some of these people that she's connecting with. Peter, thank you for being on the show. Uh, it's nice to see you again. Uh, I've been on your show. Um, if you want to plug that real quick as well, your YouTube channel that you do with uh, uh, Linda Carino. Yeah, and... no, no, perfect. Yeah, I do. Uh, I have a, I have a channel myself. Um, it's uh, I want to believe being creative there with a name. Um, it's basically a, a newly created paranormal community channel where we have uh, at the moment we have about four or five different groups that contribute to it. Uh, a lot 
lots of podcast shows and chat shows and stuff like that. Um, but we're um, we're starting to delve into live feeds as well and uh, that kind of thing. So it's it like I say, it started it only started a few months ago, but um, it's doing really well. It's still at the ground at the moment, but we have a good path this year. Awesome. Well, like I said, Peter, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, if anybody's listening, check out Peter's books. Uh, find them on Amazon. Uh, find Peter on YouTube, Facebook. He's everywhere. Thanks for listening, everyone. And uh, watch out for those ghosts. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.